Hello, and welcome to another episode of Balanced Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Dr. Anthony Chafee is an American medical doctor specializing in neurosurgery, who over the span of 20 years has researched the optimal nutrition habits for athletic performance and health. It is his assertion that most so-called chronic diseases are actually caused by the food we eat or don't eat, and in many cases can be reversed easily with dietary changes. He is an all-American rugby player and a former professional athlete in England and America. Dr. Chafee has dedicated many years and a large part of his professional practice to the study and education of diet and nutrition, and personally practices a fully carnivorous diet to this day with amazing results. He began his university education studying molecular, molecular and cellular biology with a minor in chemistry at the University of Washington in Seattle at the age of 15, wow, which culminated in attaining his MD from the Royal College of Surgeons. He currently resides in Perth, Australia, where he specializes in neurosurgery and does private consultations and clinics in functional medicine and nutrition. Dr. Anthony Chafee, what an honor it is to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I was trying to think back on some of the things that I was doing when I was 15 years old. Um, I'm not proud of most of the things I did when I was 15, but I certainly wasn't <laughs> studying uh, <laughs> um, neurosurgery. That's pretty amazing. Um, how did you get into college so early? Uh, well, I mean, I was definitely doing a lot of stupid things uh, as a 15-year-old <laughs> as well. Uh, I think I, I think I slept drunk at my first bus stop when I was 14. So, you know, I started off, I started off early on a lot of things. Um, but, uh, you know, when I, when I was uh, going into uh, eighth grade, uh, I was 13 years old, a buddy of mine, uh, John Laney, who's a, who's a, um, you know, he's a corporate attorney in Seattle now, you know, he just came up to me and, you know, he was, he was, uh, you know, he and I were always, you know, uh, did really well in school and, and sort of, we, we would always, uh, uh, you know, just sort of challenge each other. And, and we were sort of the only two people that could sort of keep up with each other in school. And so he came up to me and, and just said, Hey, there's this, there's this program at the university of Washington in Seattle, uh, that if you take the SATs, uh, you know, at any time, whether or not you graduate high school, you can start taking classes as a matriculated student. And he said, you know, you want to do it. And I was like, yeah, okay, why not? And I was like, well, you know, when is it? And he said, oh, it's next week. I'm like, next week? I'm like, how the hell? I can't do it next week. Like, I don't have a book. I haven't studied. I haven't. I don't even have any resources. And he said, dude, we're 13. Like, it doesn't matter. Just do it and see what happens. <laughs> like, that's a very good point. And so we took it and we both did really well. And so, we, you know, we didn't do it in order to start going to college. We did it just, just to do it and, and maybe not have to do it again in high school. But um you know, we were always skip. We were sort of skipping uh, classes and, or, or skipping, you know, uh, ahead in classes. And you know, I was taking you know a couple. I would always be taking like two math classes per term. So I was taking you know algebra and geometry, and then I do pre-calculus and then go to straight to calculus. So I was I was doubling up on all my math and science classes anyway. And so when I was in junior high, I was going to the high school to take all my math and science classes because I'd, I'd run out in the junior high. And by the time I was going into high school, it's a three-year high school where I'm from, it, um, you know, I'd already taken all the, all the math and science classes really. And, and those were all my favorite classes. And so I just sort of looked at it and I was like, well, you know, I can just sit here for three years and just dumb myself down and just take all the, you know, the, the stupid classes that I, I really am not interested in uh, and then forget everything that I've done and then actually be at a disadvantage when I go to college 
or I can just go to university now. And so I, I just did that because, you know, it didn't make any sense to go at an accelerated rate and then be hindered by it, you know, because I would have, I would have just gone really fast and accelerated really fast and then hit a dead point, not been able to take any more classes. And then I, I would have forgotten everything. And then I, you know, and then I would have to sort of retake classes to catch back up. So like that didn't make any sense. And so, yeah, so I just went to, went to college early. That's amazing. Wow. Very proactive of you. I love that. I think when I was 15, after two years of taking French, I could say I'm a pineapple and that's about all I could do. Um, so way to to take advantage of, um, all those advanced classes and use that momentum to get yourself into college. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, really excited to chat with you today. We've talked to a lot of carnivores. We're definitely big proponents of the carnivore diet around here. Um, we talked to a lot of people about the, the advantages of eating lots of meat. We've even talked to people like Sally Norton, who talks about the harms of oxalates and, you know, that can be found in a lot of plant food. But I'm, I'm really excited to chat with you as a plant-free MD to talk really truly about the harms of eating plants and have like a really comprehensive, um, you know, kind of a guide as to why plants, you know, are so prevalent in our diets and why maybe they should or shouldn't be. But I would just like to talk about yeah. your story and how you first came across this. You came across this quite a while ago, understanding yeah. that the plants really are not that great for us. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. So, and that's my my approach to this as well. And that's why, you know, I call my podcast, the plant free MD, because it's not, it's not just about eating meat, you know, that that's obviously a big part of it, but the main thing is not eating all these other things that actually cause harm. So, you know, I talked to, when I was first talking to, to people about this, you know, they, they would say, Oh yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. You know, that makes sense, but you know, I don't mind eating salad. So, you know, I'll just keep eating salad. And the point is, it's not that you don't, you don't have to eat salads. You don't have to eat vegetables to get all your nutrition from, you know, because you can get all your nutrition from meat, which is true. But in fact, you don't want to eat the salad. The salad is actually bad for you. So it's not just like, oh, hey, you don't, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. It's like, you shouldn't do it. Um, the reason being, yeah, exactly. The reason being is that, you know, plants are living organisms and they, they want to stay living organisms. All living things have a defense down to single celled organisms. And while animals can run away or fight back, plants can't. And so they have to use different means to, dis- to defend themselves against predation. They have all sorts of different, different me- ways of doing that, which are very, very interesting. But one of the main ones is that they just use poisons. They are just toxic to animals and insects. You know, caffeine was developed as, as an insecticide and it's actually, you know, a, you know, a neurotoxin and can cause seizures in people that are prone to ep- epilepsy. So, you know, the, these things actually do cause harm to us and they're supposed to, you know, you know, plants don't want to be uh, eaten by and large. Obviously there, there are exceptions in symbiotic relationships uh, with certain animal species, but that's how these things have developed. And so some people say, well, you know, like, oh, this plant doesn't want to be eaten. So it uses poison. It's like, oh, but that cow doesn't want to be eaten either. Oh, shush. That doesn't, that doesn't meet with a narrative. I saw some uh, guy say that specifically. Well, the point is, is that the cow can defend itself as well. It just has different defenses because it's mobile, because it can use kinetic, you know, kinetic uh, defenses. It doesn't need to be poisonous. It's flesh doesn't have to be poisonous to the lion that eats it where, you know, a eucalyptus leaf does, you know? So I, I mean, I learned in seventh, seventh or eighth grade biology that plants and animals are in an evolutionary arms race, plants becoming more and more poisonous. So less and less animals can eat them so that they can survive and thrive or else they go extinct, which most species of life have gone extinct at this point. So everything that's come through the gauntlet of evolution is battle hardened, including the plants. And then animals, you know, also evolving to, 
and adapting to being able to break down specific poisons safely so that they can eat a specific plant. And then most thing, other things can't eat that. So that that's their conserved resource. They don't have to compete for resources. It's much like, you know, pandas, koalas, you know, giraffes and, and, uh, and everything else, you know, these things eat plants, but they eat very specific plants because they can eat that plant. It's safe to eat that plant. They eat other, other plants, they'll die. People know this, this is common knowledge. Almost every plant on earth is quote unquote inedible, meaning that it will kill you if you eat a small amount of it. Well, then we have edible plants. The only distinction there is that they don't kill you very quickly, but that doesn't mean that they don't use poisons. That doesn't mean that they don't use toxins. They do. It's just that we have some inbuilt, inbuilt defenses to these things, but we don't have immunities. It's not like cows and grass, you know, where a cow can eat and there's different kinds of grasses and and some cows can't, and cows can't eat certain kinds of grasses. So when you're eating your, your evolved plant, then you can do that. But if your species hasn't evolved to eat a specific plant, that plant is bad for you. So, you know, we learn this, we actually teach this to kids and anybody, and people say, oh, why don't we know this? Or, or maybe they call bullshit on it. You ask anybody who studied botany, even taking one class on it, they'll be like, oh yeah, actually that's true. Study horticulture, one class on horticulture. Oh yeah, no, that's actually true. You know, all plants, you know, use some form of toxin. That is a rule across the plant and fungus kingdoms. Just period. That that is hard fact. That is hard science. Like it's that that's really not up for debate. That that is a thing that exists in nature. And just because someone doesn't know that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means they need to read more. And I encourage everyone to do that. Just go to an introductory botany book. It is there. Okay. Study, you know, take a book on horticulture. It's there. So when I was in, in college at the University of Washington, I was taking cancer biology. I always knew I wanted to be a doctor and I was always interested in those sorts of classes. So I was taking cancer biology and we were sort of going back over this. The fact that plants use poisons, you know, to stop predation, to deter predation. And this is a cancer biology class. So, so we were looking at it in, uh, from a cancer perspective. And so we were looking at the different amount of carcinogens that were in you know, uh, plants that we, w- we would eat on a, on a regular basis. And we learned that like Brussels sprouts, like the most reviled vegetable of all from all kids, there's a good reason for that. They had, at the time, we had already discovered 136 separate human carcinogens just in Brussels sprouts. And mushrooms had over 100. Spinach, kale, lettuce, celery, cabbage, cucumber, broccoli, you name it, everything. We were given lists, literally page after page of all the different plants that you've ever eaten. And every single one, there wasn't a single one that had less than 60 carcinogens in it. And so this is where that bitter taste comes from. This is why kids hate the taste of vegetables, you know, when they first, when they're first eating solids, because they're, they're much more closely attuned to their genetics. And so that bad taste, that's a very good indication that there's something bad there for you. A bitter taste, a a bad taste, that is your, your brain and tongue are sophisticated machines. And that is their way of telling you there is something bad in there for you, bad in there. So if something is bitter, it is bad for you, right? This is why medicine's bitter. Well, what is medicine? Medicine is a poison that just causes more benefit than harm in certain circumstances. But just like you're not going to take antibiotics every single day, you shouldn't eat, you know, you know, uh, broccoli or, or, or celery or whatever every single day. Maybe there's some medicinal purposes for that, but maybe not. But whether or not they do, those medicinal purposes are only of, uh, of a net benefit when you're sick and when you're unwell and that's treating you for something. So we were quite blown away by this. 
obviously, as, as I think everyone I tell that to is just like, that can't be real. I thought the same thing. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? We th- I thought I must be joking. He must just be screwing with us. Everyone was literally looking around wildly, like what's going on? Like who's, who, who's in on the joke? I was looking for like a TA somewhere in the back of the class that's just sitting there like smirking, like ah, he does this all the time. There was no one. And it slowly sort of dawned on us that like, Jesus, this guy, this guy's, this guy's serious. And, you know, and, uh, and I remember like just thinking in my head, I was like, you know, but, but vegetables are still good for you though. Right. And he just looked at us and he's just like, I don't eat salad. I don't eat vegetables. I don't let my kids eat vegetables. Plants are trying to kill you. So I was like, right, screw plants. And I was just, I just stopped eating them uh, right away. And I, and, you know, I went to the store and I just, everything was a plant. Everything had plant product. Everything had some sort of product in it that came from plants, be it, you know, grains or seeds or vegetables or fruit, sugar, obviously everything came from a plant. And so I just ended up just getting eggs, meat, and milk. because Those were the only things I could find that didn't have plants. And so I ended up inadvertently becoming a carnivore uh, for several years, at least five. And I was playing, you know, uh, professional rugby at the time. I was, I was, you know, traveling all over the U S and Canada and, and then internationally. And I was, I was just, most of that time was, I was a pure carnivore. And I just never felt better and I've never performed better and I've never played better. And I've never, I've never had such, you know, exercise tolerance. And it was, I've never been able to push myself so hard. I've never recovered so fast, except until now when I'm, when I'm doing it again and my body does the same thing. I'm 20 years older and I feel just as good, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't have the time anymore to dedicate, uh, like I did before I was training, you know, sometimes anywhere from six to even 10 hours a day every day. And so I was getting in absolutely insane shape. I don't have the time for that anymore, but when I do, I can, I can push myself much further than I could before. And I recover nearly instantly and I get much more benefit out of that. Um, so that was my introduction to it. And then when I was in England playing, I just didn't have the same access, uh, to food. I don't know why, but the steaks, I, I couldn't get them to Brown in, in England. I just couldn't do it. I don't know if they like, if they had a higher water content or something, but like they only went gray on the outside. And then I, I was, I just kept cooking them until they brown, but they never brown. And so I ended up cooking these things well done. And I just, ugh, you know, wasn't having fun with it. And then, so I, I just couldn't figure out how the hell to cook a damn steak there. I don't you know. Was, I'm sure it was me, but like there was something going wrong. And, um, and so I ended up getting meat that was already cooked and, and that seemed to be easier just because I was, you know, I was playing all the time and training all the time. I just didn't have time to mess around. And, you know, some of the times that, that meat would be breaded, like breaded chicken drumsticks. And I, I remember thinking to myself like, Oh, that's a plant, but is it that much? Does it make that much of a difference? I'm like, well, you know, let's just see. It did. It made a big difference. I remember a couple of months into it, you know, I was, I was getting aches and pains and little, you know, niggling sores and, and, uh, and just, just little weird injuries. And I was just like, I was like, Oh, I don't you know what the hell's going on. And, and I, I just wasn't, I didn't have the same energy that I had. I didn't have that same, just like gusto for, uh, you know, ex, you know, exercise that I, that I had before. And I remember thinking, I was like, you know, what's, what's the difference? Like, what's going on? Am I just not pushing myself? Am I, am I not training as hard? Like, what, what am I doing? Or you know, I was 25 at the time. So I was like, is that it? Is this 25? That's the crest. And then you're just going downhill after that. You know, which is certainly what I thought when I was 21, 22, you know, my friends would be like, Oh yeah, I'm 25. So I'm still young. So do this. I'm like, dude, you're dying. Like, what are you talking about? And then, so I'm 25. I'm like, shit, am I dying? It's like, <laughs> is that it? Um, but you know, looking back, it was, that was when I, I 
unknowingly switched off, off of a carnivore diet and started eating these plants again. Several years ago, I came across uh, you know, more solid information that no, humans actually are carnivores. Is that that's the kind of animal that we are. And we we're taught this, we're taught that we're apex predators, top of the food chain. You know, what, what animal do you know of at the top of the food chain that eats anything except animals below it on the food chain? I can't think of a single thing. Sharks and dolphins don't eat kelp, you know, for roughage. You know, lions don't you know enjoy a fresh garden salad every now and then. You know, they just don't. And so, you know, we're, we're the same. And so when we're, when we step off of that, when we stop eating our, our naturally evolved biologically appropriate species specific diet, which is meat, that's when we run into troubles. And so all of a sudden everything just, just, I had this epiphany. All of a sudden I started looking at medicine, uh, from that perspective that humans are animals, humans are animals and the kind of animal that we are, are a carnivore. And we're a carnivore that are not eating and living as carnivores. And this is where you start seeing this breakdown in health. And it's a, it's a, it's a sort of a poison exposure relationship. When we get exposed to these, these poisons in these plants, especially in, in abundance, we end up developing different diseases like heart disease, diabetes, uh, you know, uh, autoimmune disorders, and even Alzheimer's and, and uh, autoimmune, uh, or, or, sorry, like autism, like neurodevelopmental delays as well. And, and, and these have all been linked to diet and some have, have causative links as well, such as autism. So, you know, this is, this is a very, very important part of, of medicine. I think it's really the most important part because it's something so easy that you can just, you can just eliminate this huge swaths of so-called disease because they're not diseases. They're, they're, they're poisonings. We're being poisoned and we're not getting enough uh, of our appropriate nutrition. And that's, uh, that's sort of my approach to all this is, is getting people the right, you know, species specific food, which is fatty meat. And the fat is very important. It's one of the most important parts that people are still afraid of, though they shouldn't be. It does not cause heart disease. It does not cause diabetes. It does not cause obesity. It just doesn't. And so getting people back on that and then specifically eliminating the different things that are harmful to them. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I really appreciate that explanation. I've kind of oscillated over the years that I've been carnivore, you know, between being very strict and also being a little bit more lenient. Like for somebody that's, you know, been on a strict carnivore diet, they've resolved a lot of issues. They're feeling great. You know, over time, they can kind of add things back in and not notice so much of a negative effect. But I wonder, you know, especially after listening to so much of your content, how much of that is actually true? And I wonder if we're giving up some of our most optimal, you know, feeling and, and living because we're starting to introduce some of those things. And you gave a great example in your podcast recently about, you know, early on you were very strict carnivore and then you ate some meat that had spices on it. And I'm really curious if you could tell the listener, like what happened when you included some of those spices, you didn't want to be rude. I believe you were with your family, something we run into all the time. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what happened as you, you know, kind of were more strict and then, and then, yeah, you make a little bit of allowance for some of these plants to creep back in what actually happens. Yeah. So you know, you, you can actually see, you know, the contrast pretty easily. Uh, you know, when you, when you feel, I don't feel a little better. I don't feel a lot better. I feel a thousand times better than I've ever felt in my entire life, you know, including when I was a professional athlete, not on this diet. So as compared to myself, um, so when you feel amazing like that and you get something that slips back in and it has like little spices or whatever, like you can actually feel that that actually affects you. And so this is something that, you know, I encourage people to do go pure, get rid of everything and just go meat and water 
for a month. And then you don't think that, you know, you know, black pepper is that big of a deal. You don't think that coffee is that big of a deal. Okay. Be off it for a month. Try, try back in. Like you'll see a difference. And if that difference is, is, is fine for you and you, and you don't mind that fine. It's, you know, it's your life. Uh, for me, it's, it's way too much. I, you know, I, I drink one cup of black coffee and I'm sore for, for two days. That's not worth it, you know? And, uh, you know, I get a little bit of beans or rice mixed in with my food. I'm trying to scrape it off, but you know, a little bit stays on. And my, my back feels like it's in stabbing pain for four full days afterwards. That's not worth it. You know, that the, no, nothing tastes better than, than being healthy feels. And, uh, I believe you're, you're sort of talking about when, when my parents were going, uh, carnivore, my mom started to do this. And so she was just making a big roast, like a lamb roast. And she put every single herb and seasoning she could find on this thing. It was like literally like crusted green. And I was like, oh, mom, <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to eat, use plants. Like that's literally the whole point of this. I was like, no, 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 no. We're not having any, any plants. We're not doing a salad. We're not doing anything. This is just the meat. This is just for the meat. And I'm like, no, those are plants. And that's, you know, you're, you're putting, it doesn't just go away uh, because you put it on, on meat. You know, if you like tip, you know, a baggie of cocaine into your, your coffee and it dissolves, it doesn't just go away. It's like, Oh no, no, it's just coffee. I'm just having coffee. Like, okay. There's other things going on there though. And so I, you know, I didn't want to be rude. I was at my mom's house and I was, I was sort of looking at, it, I'm like, I really don't want to eat that. I kind of want to just scrape it off. But, you know, I didn't want to sort of see, I didn't want to be weird and scrape it off or be rude and, or seem rude. And so I was, and I was also curious. So I was like, well, you know, let's see, let's see what this does. Let's see how this affects me. And uh, you know, I'm always, always interested in, in experiment. And so I, I had about one and a half pieces of lamb and I was clinically depressed for the rest of the night. I was so upset. I mean, I was, I was beside myself and, you know, I, I get bouts of, uh, you know, low mood and, and I've, I've, I've had, you know, depression in the past, not to, uh, you know, such an extent as, as, uh, many people have, but it's something that I've had to deal with. And all of a sudden this came, bam, hit me just straight in the face. And I was so upset. And I remember at the time that night I was, I was extremely upset and I actually, I, I literally contemplated suicide, not just like, oh, that'd be nice. I, I actually thought up a plan. I was like, this is how I'm going to do it. And I remember thinking to myself, all of a sudden, like, thankfully, I had some sort of, you know, uh, part in me that was able to sort of look from the outside and say, that's not normal. I shouldn't be feeling like this. You know, there wasn't anything that happened tonight that should make me feel this upset and this sad and this low, you know, but I do. I do feel this bad. So this is pathological. This is, this is, this is, this is something wrong with my brain chemistry. This, this isn't actual grief. This isn't actual sadness. This is, this is something wrong. And so I said, okay, if this is pathological, you know, obviously shouldn't do anything. And so I'm just going to go to sleep and I'll try and sleep this off. I'll see how I feel in the morning. If I still feel like I want to do this in the morning, I'll do it in the morning. I literally made it, I made a deal with myself that that's what I would do. I woke up in the morning and, you know, needless to say, I didn't feel like that anymore. I just felt more emotionally numb. And I remember thinking to myself, what the hell was that about? And I was, I was thinking back on everything that was said, everything, you know, the conversation at the table, everything that happened. And I remember thinking, I was like, there's nothing there that should have upset me like that. Was I just, was I just completely overreacting to something or, or was this the plants? And I was like, well, there's only one way to find out. And so, 
ate more of the stupid lamb with the plants on it. And I was clinically depressed the rest of the damn day, but at least now I knew why. And so I, I didn't, I didn't even think about suicide because I was just like, now I just was able to focus that, that, uh, up, you know, uh, upset, uh, feelings towards the plants. I'm like, damn these plants. I never, I was like, I knew plants were trying to kill me. I hate these things. Keep these things the hell away from me. And so now, and, and so, you know, I have this very strong aversion to these things because I know what they do to me. They make me feel like garbage and I don't want any, anything to do with that. And, uh, and you're right. You know, we can, we can sort of convince ourselves that, well, you know, maybe I can have this back in, or maybe, maybe someone who has an issue, uh, driving from like leaky gut and autoimmune disorders. After a while, your leaky gut will heal. Your autoimmune issues will, will take care, uh, and sort of slowly heal. And maybe you, you sort of introduce something back on and, and maybe early on because you had leaky gut, because you had, uh, you know, your body was more sensitive to this, you know, you would have a, you have a bigger flare up. Well, maybe now you don't have that much of a response. So you fool yourself into thinking, oh, it's safe now. It's still poison and it's going to build up in your body and it's going to break down your body's ability to take care of it and detoxify because we, we have a very limited, uh, uh, you know, ability to do that. Now our livers are awesome. They, they can do quite a lot of, of, uh, detoxing, but there's going to be some damage done and eventually you will overwhelm your system and, and, uh, and cause even more damage. And then you can just, if you just slowly eke into it, then people, people will, uh, you know, can, can fall off easier. So people say that, you know, what I'm doing is too strict and that's going to put people off and they'll, they're going to slip off. I, I've noticed the exact opposite with my patients and, and with myself you know, when you have a lot of gray area and you can, oh yeah, you can kind of do this, you can kind of do that. And then things are fungible and, you know, there aren't just clear lines. I can do this. I can't do that. Um, where it, if you just do a pure carnivore diet, it's the easiest, uh, you know, prescription to follow in the world. You know, exactly what you can eat. You know, exactly what you can't eat. My hard rule, no plants or fungi, no uh, sugar, nothing artificial that goes for sauces, seasonings, and drinks as well. So you know, seasonings, pepper, that's a plant, honey, that's a sugar, you know, artificial sweeteners, they're artificial, uh, stevia, it's a plant. So, you know, you, you know exactly what you can and can't eat. You just eat meat and you, you feel great. You can eat at any time of the day or night. It doesn't matter if you're not eating carbohydrates, it doesn't matter what time you eat and you can eat, you eat as much as you care to because your taste will tell you if it tastes good, that means your body wants those nutrients. And so you just keep eating until it stops tasting good. It will. Eventually a steak will stop tasting good. You just go, Oof, I don't really want to keep eating that. You stop. That's your body's way of naturally, uh, uh, of natural portion control. And so it's, it's very, very easy. And, and I think that when people blur those lines, maybe it's, it, maybe it's helpful to get them onto it in the first place. That, that could be helpful for some people, but I think eventually it's, it's a much stronger position to be in. If you're only eating meat and water, uh, a lot of people, if they sort of or eating other things and dabbling, they're mostly eating meat. I find that they're the ones who never really go full and they're the ones who slip up a lot more because it's not as big of a deal to them. They're not thinking like, Oh, I don't want that anywhere near me. And also they don't, they don't necessarily feel as good. They feel a lot better than they did, but you know, that last getting rid of that last little bit of uh, carbs and, and animal and, and plant toxins actually make a huge difference because it's that first initial introduction that actually has a, has a big weight of effect on our system and they sort of derail our hormonal system and our metabolic system, uh, you know, all day potentially. And so you can add on to that and make it worse, but you've already done a significant amount of a disproportional 
amount of damage as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, that's why I do just pure meat and water myself. Yeah. I love that. I love how you kind of went into detail about that as far as like the restriction, because a lot of people would listen to this and say, well, you, why can't you live a little, like you're, you're only eating meat. That's so restrictive. Like, but, but, but they don't yeah. understand what you mentioned. Like you, you don't know yeah. what you don't know or how you could possibly feel for me. It was sugar. Like I always yeah. thought I could like moderate it. Yeah. Like if I had it every now and again, it would be fine. And last summer when I started eating a pie, I couldn't stop eating the pie, even though I didn't want any more pie. And I stayed up all night. My, I was sweating my brains out. My anxiety was through the roof. And I decided that day, like, this is not worth it. This taste is, is maybe fine yeah. for 30 seconds, but it's not worth it. And so I don't consider it restrictive to never have sugar. You're right. It is so much more simple to walk through a grocery store, go to a restaurant and just say like, Oh, great. See all those aisles. I don't go there. There's no reason for me to be in those aisles. I know where my food is. I can go to those sections in the store, be out of there in three minutes and, and you know, yeah. know exactly what my diet's going to be. And it's really <laughs> enriching and filling and I don't get anxiety. It's, it's not restrictive at all. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and it does make shopping so much easier. Like, I mean, the entire store is something that I just don't care about, you know? I, and so I'm not looking around, Oh gosh, what do I need? And I was just like, hey, you go to the meat, pick up some steaks done. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of like, I have fun shopping. I say, well, what meat looks good today? And, um, and then I just, I don't waste my time on anything else. Uh, you're, you're exactly right. I don't think it's restrictive at all. It's a very good point. You know, what, what I think is restrictive, uh, is diabetes. Diabetes is really restrictive. You know, being 200 pounds overweight and having your back and knees hurt constantly. I think that's restrictive. I think, you know, having uh, autoimmune disorders and Alzheimer's, I think that's really restrictive. I think your children not growing up to their genetic potential and maybe even having, uh, you, know, ex you know, extremely bad uh, neuro you know, developmental delays such as autism. I think that's very restrictive. I think that that restricts someone's entire humanity. And it's something that's completely preventable. It's something that, that, that doesn't need to happen. So I think that it's very freeing. I think that, you know, I'm free from buying all the, all the processed garbage at the store. I don't have to get bought into all the different, you know, ad campaigns and marketing propaganda for the new superfood and the new this and the new that. I know what the superfood is. I know exactly what my body needs. I just get that. And my brain works and my body works to its genetic potential. That's very freeing. I give my body the fuel that it needs so that I can live my life. You know, it's, it's sort of uh, strange now, you know, I look at, you know, the, the world and now that I'm on the outside of this looking in, it's, it's very funny because, you know, I don't, I'm not beholden to restaurants and bars and coffee shops for my entertainment and social, social exposure. Most people are. And, you know, we, we surround ourselves by, by, by food and drink. And, that, and that's the entire makeup of our, of our social interaction. Like we you know people can't just hang out anymore. They can't like go and do things. Like everyone's just, oh, it's me for coffee. Let's meet for drinks. It's me for lunch. It's me for brunch. It's me for dinner. Like, can you actually hold a conversation with people if you're not, you know, eating, you know, like I, I can, I think it's, it's quite, you know, it's quite, uh, uh, you know, engaging when you're actually able to, to talk to somebody and actually do things. So I think that's restrictive. I think having to eat, you know, five times a day and the only time, because you have to eat so often, that's where you have to surround your social experience with is with eating. I still go out to eat with people. I still go to coffee. I just drink water and I eat meat. There's always meat on the meal unless you go to a vegan restaurant, which I've done with my friends and just drank water. You know, it's not that hard. I don't care. And, um, you know, to like what you were saying with the sugar, 
that is, you know, fructose is a drug. It's an, it's an actual drug. It actually gives a dopamine response to the addiction centers of your brain, just like cocaine, heroin, and methamphetamines. And there are, there are MRI studies actually showing um, that the same areas of your brain that die off from using methamphetamines and cocaine and, and, and heroin uh, through this, this, this dopamine response, because dopamine actually turns your, your cells, your, your, they're excitatory. So your neurons are firing. If your neurons are firing for too long, they die. You know, they, they have to turn off and rest or they die. And so, you know, you keep pushing this and stimulating it and stimulating and stimulating all of a sudden these things die off. Sugar does the same thing. And so sugar, this is what, this is what you know, we've been calling this a sugar high for decades since I was a kid. Anyway, I'm sure before that as well, you would know, give these things in, they're bouncing all over the wall and then they're coming down They're getting, ah, give me more. And they're just freaking out. You know, you imagine a 27 year old coming off of heroin doing that, you know, and it's sort of the same thing, except they haven't been, you know, socialized, uh, the child has, but it's, it's the same reaction. They're just freaking out and they want their drug. So this is, this is addictive as a drug because it is a drug. And so you do find yourself you know, getting, getting, uh, trapped in eating it, which is why, you know, when people say like, oh, you know, you can, you can have a bit of fruit and honey. I think that that's, that's, uh, all well and good. Maybe they're well, you know, the people that, 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 uh, uh, you know, you know, promote that, you know, Dr. Saladino and and carnivore Aurelius, I, you know, you read their stuff. They're very well-meaning, you know, they say like, look, this, this can cause organ dysfunction. Um, you know, if you don't get, if you don't get, uh, you know, carbohydrates and, and fructose, you don't though. You, you really don't, you know, your, your, your body makes blood sugar and glycogen and it even it actually makes fructose in certain, uh, in certain isolated, uh, uh, areas, but you know, the, uh, was it the, the national Institute of science and the, or national Academy of science and the uh, Institute of medicine both said that the, the, the requirement, the daily requirement for carbohydrates or even the lifetime requirement for carbohydrates is zero grams, zero. You do not need these things to survive or to thrive or else the Inuits wouldn't be here because there are no carbohydrates or sugar or honey or fruit at the North Pole. And our ancestors came through 30,000 years of, of ice ages at a time. And there were like, you know, several of these. And so, you know, if we weren't able to survive exclusively on meat, we wouldn't be here. No one would be here. And there's, there's tons of indigenous tribes that don't eat any fruit or honey and exclusively eat meat their whole lives. And, you know, maybe every now and then they have some if they have access to it, but quite often people don't. And so, you know, you, you can't live generationally only eating meat unless meat has absolutely everything it needs for you in the proportion you need it. And, and that's what we find, you know? And so, um, I, so I think that it's, a, it's, it's probably a bad idea for people to reintroduce honey and, sh- and fructose, uh, containing, uh, foods such as fruit simply because it's a drug and it's bad for you. It's broken down in the same, to the same byproducts as alcohol in our body. You see San Francisco biochemistry department showed that conclusively in 2009. That's what it does. And so you get the same diseases from those breakdown products from fructose as you do from alcohol. So you get fatty liver disease, cirrhosis, diabetes, heart disease. Now it's being, you know, uh, shown to, to be implicated in cancers and Alzheimer's that that's not something that, that you want. It's certainly not something you want to give your kids and, and screw with their body. You know, this is, this is, this is being implicated in Alzheimer's, which is a very serious, you know, uh, fatal neurodegenerative process. You know, what's that doing to a developing brain? What's that doing to a fetus? It's not going to be good. 
you know, I can tell you that. And so I think that it's, it's, um, I think that it has to do with, with other neurodevelopmental delays, such as autism. There are multiple different kinds of autism, autism, autism spectrum disorder. There's a spectrum of, of, of symptoms and kinds of autism. Well, to me, that means there's a spectrum of causes as well. And I think one of those causes is, is exposure to, uh, sugar and carbohydrates in the genetically susceptible. And so it was obviously you need a, you need, you need, a. a you know, genetic predisposition and an environmental trigger to get, get most of these things. Some things are just, you get poison, you eat poison, you get poison, but some of these things uh, you, you need to be susceptible to it. And you'll have other problems if you're not susceptible to it. Um, but, you know, I remember when I was a kid as well, uh, we moved up to uh, Kirkham, Washington is when we first came across Costco. And, you know, we, we went there and it was like summer break when I was a kid and they had this 10 pound, pack of gummy bears and gummy bears were hands down my favorite candy. Like love these things. And I was like, Oh my God, can we please get these? I don't know how I convinced my mom to do it. We almost, we almost never had sugar in the house, which was, was a blessing, but she ended up getting this for me. And like, I remember gorging myself on just handfuls of gummy bears all day. I was just playing video games and eating gummy bears all day, every day. And I remember getting through like, you know, several handfuls and like really enjoying it. Wow, this is great. This is great. Got to the point where it was, it was started to taste gross and I really didn't like it, but I could not stop eating this stuff. I just kept doing it. My mouth was all felt all like grimy and, and, uh, and, and coarse. And I was just like, my, my tongue was all raw and, and it was horrible. And I, I did not enjoy any single one of these things. And I kept thinking that I'm like, I just really don't enjoy this. This is gross. I just couldn't stop eating. I'm like, why am I still doing this? Why am I doing this? And I kept thinking about like, maybe this will be good this time. No, it's really not. Okay. Maybe this time. No, it's really not. And, you know, the next day I remember waking up and like, I got my, I still have gummy bears. I can do that. I'm like, oh, why am I doing this to myself again? I'm like, all right, well, let's see what they taste like today. They tasted good again at first. Within a couple of handfuls, it was gross again. I just kept eating the damn things. And then after that point, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to work my way through this and just power through and just finish these damn things off so I can stop eating them. It was, you know, if that's that's not good. You know, like you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that with anything. And so, um, you know, that was... Um, that was my sort of experience with that. And, you know, so this is, this is, that's, that's that compulsive eating, you know, and it makes you think you're starving when you're not carbohydrates in general do this. Uh, they've raised your insulin, which blocks leptin, which is comes from your fat cells to tell your brain how much energy you have in storage. And so it's like a running gas cage. And, you know, when you block that, it's like breaking your gas tank. So it just looks like you're running on, on empty the whole time. And so you're going like, Oh, I, I got to get gas. I got to get gas. I got to get gas. So you're just constantly, you know, filling up and you're, spilling gas all over the place, but you don't realize it because you're like, Oh, I'm on empty. I'm on empty. So your brain is, uh, is telling you you're starving to death. You need to eat. You need to eat because your blood sugar is dropping too, because when insulin's up, it, it forces energy into cells. It doesn't allow it to come out of cells. And so now you can't make blood sugar. You can't make glycogen. You're not making ketones. And so you have, the only energy you have are these exogenous carbohydrates that you've eaten and the glycogen that you've now stored because of them. And then when you start running out of that, your blood sugar starts dropping off and you start getting all upset and, and, and tired and think, oh gosh, I really need to eat something. So we do this three, four times a day. Why is that? You're eating thousands of calories. You're eating way too much. You're eating way more than you actually need. And, and yet you're still hungry and you still feel awful. And so, you know, that, that, that means that something's broken. 
you know, your senses, you know, that are, that are ingrained and, and finely tuned over millions and millions of years of evolution. They don't just break like that, you know, and why does, why do things taste bad if they're good for us? That doesn't make sense either. You know, things can taste good, maybe sugar, that's an outlier, you know, but we recognize that that's something safe that we can eat short term so that we can get what we want, but it's going to damage us long term. But if something tastes bad, it is bad. That's just that's just a rule. And so, you know, why can we not trust our taste? Why can we not trust our, our hunger and satiety signals? You know, that doesn't make sense. But when you're eating naturally, you can listen to all these things. And so that's when you know you're, you're more on the right track. So, you know, it, um, it, it's a very harmful substance, sugar and, uh, and carbohydrates in general. And, you know, they make you hungry. They make you overeat. They're addictive. And so people start off adding in a little bit of honey, like, oh, I was told I could eat this. Great. And they have some honey. They have some sugar. And it tastes good. And they like it. It makes them feel good. Of course it does. It's a drug. People like drugs. You know, that's why they do drugs. Um, but they're drugs. And so you're, you're going to, you're, it's going to catch up with you eventually. And so, you know, and, and, you know, you know, the people say like, oh, a little bit of honey and fruit. Okay. But it starts off as little, but this is a drug, you know, I'm sure your cocaine habit started off as a little bit of cocaine every now and then as well. Problem is that a little bit can turn into a lot very easily with addictive substances. And I've worked with many patients who've listened to that advice and basically, found it as an excuse to, to refeed their sugar addiction. And so they started eating carbohydrates again. They started eating uh, fruit again. They started eating honey again. And it started off as a little and a little more and a little more and a little more. And they're like, oh, this is good for me. I can do this. And then within, you know, five, six months, they're back eating, you know, pizza and donuts and all sorts of garbage. And they put on all this weight and they're sick again. And then, you know, uh, you know, some of them have seen, you know, me talk about this and they, they, they've approached me and just said, you know, wow, this, this was, this was the exact cycle that I, that I took. And now, you know, having a look at this, I'm like, yeah, I've, I've, I've just got to get rid of everything. I've got to get rid of the sugar as well. And so I think that it's, uh, it's important to realize that. And I think it's important to understand that you really don't need carbohydrates. You flat out don't, you certainly don't need fructose. There are no biochemical processes in the body that require exogenous fructose and can't be accomplished by something else. None. So you don't need this stuff. You certainly don't need it. And I, I would argue that you really don't want it either. Mm. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. That was something specifically I was going to ask you about. There are popular carnivores like the ones that you mentioned, Dr. Saladino, mm. Carnivore Aurelius. You know, they were pushing a lot of organ supplements for a long time. And I don't know if they still are. They're not people that I follow anymore. I do have a high respect for them. And they were, you know, definitely people that helped me with my understanding of the carnivore diet for a while. But they were pushing a lot of organ supplements. And we had a listener question that was related to this. I've never made this connection, but eating too many organs. And then because you're eating too many organs, needing <coughs> supplements or your carbohydrates to supplement um, your diet. And now we see these people eating honey, eating fruit, eating fructose, like you said, even juice, which I, you know, I get a lot of questions about this and it, it, people get really confused about it. And so how would you address that? I know it's something you just kind of answer, but, but this is like really specifically something that's on a lot of people's minds. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the thing is true with, with juice. I mean, where, where was that in our evolutionary past? You know, if you, if you're going to go by, you know, like, you know, what, where we came from, how we evolved. We certainly didn't evolve with juice. I can tell you that. And that's, was there a, and that's was there a we, juicer on the walls in France where they did the, like the, the yeah, first yeah, yeah, exactly. like the yeah, yeah. machine? 
just there with a, you know, just a stick blender, exactly. you know, <laughs> and a pineapple. Um, you know, no, and, and the fruits that we have now for juicing, the, these things are are man-made. You know, the original mango is a very tough, fibrous, not very sweet plant with a massive seed and barely any fruit. You know, it's not the same thing. We've been, you know, you know, uh, selectively breeding these things in a concentrated manner in order to make them as sweet as possible. Uh, that's not that's not what we found in nature. Um, so it's very very different. Drinking juice certainly didn't happen. It just didn't. But you know that that's something that that I was very surprised by with carnivore really because they started saying, oh no no, actually you know I was wrong. You actually need fructose. You actually need sugar, or else you'll get you'll get you'll thyroid dysfunction was what he was talking about at the time. Um, and I've, I've read one of his his uh, you know posts on it, and um, you know he he cites different studies. But the problem is is that you can get a study that says anything that you want. You need to be able to analyze these things and look at it as like wait, this is talking about some very small mechanistic process, you know, does that, what does that tra- translate to on the bigger picture? The bigger picture is we actually are carnivores. That's actually the kind of animal we are. And we actually existed exclusively on meat for millions of years. Okay. So if we needed fruit in order to survive and thrive, we would not be here because we wouldn't have made it through the ice ages. The Eskimos right now would all be dying. They'd be dead. You know, you can't go very long with, with extreme hypothyroidism. You don't make it. And let's say that it's, it's, you know, sort of borderline and and low level hypothyroidism just to make you miserable, but it doesn't kill you, which it can, it can kill you. Your kids are going to be screwed because hypothyroidism in a woman, when she's pregnant, will, will make that, that fetus develop completely abnormally. It's actually, there's actually a condition called cretinism. That's, you know, all the best insults are all used to be medical uh, terminology, you know, like, you know, so-called someone a cretin, that's a, that's a real thing is congenital hypothyroidism. And they get very specific uh, facial deformities. They're short stature. So they're very small and uh, they're very severely intellectually delayed and impaired. And so this, this is a very serious issue. This is, this is not a joke. Um, and so if you had entire race of people, entire, um, civilization that was exclusively eating meat and all getting hypothyroidism, all their kids would be getting cretinism that lasts exactly one generation and you're dead. That's not going to work, you know? So that doesn't even pass the smell test, you know? Um, and certainly juice doesn't. Um, but, um, you know, I like carnival realists and I like Saladino, you know, I, I, I would point my, my patients, um, you know, to their resources regularly, uh, before I had, you know, my own, uh, own things to show them. Uh, I, I still think they have great resources. I mean, I disagree with them on this one, but that's one of the few things I disagree with them on. So I, I still think they're, they're great resources. I just, I just think this is, this one, uh, is, I certainly dis, uh, differ with, um, you brought up the organs and that's something that, that I've conjectured and I'm not their doctor. I don't know, uh, their, their, medical history, uh, or, or anything like that, but it's just something that I've thought about from a first principle sort of, you know, basis when you're eating organs, you know, they're, they're saying you should eat and they do. Yeah. They do have, uh, you know, supplement lines and, and I think carnivore really has like a dried liver snacks or something like that. And they, and they really say like liver is really important. Organs are really important. And, you know, I agree. They have, they're very nutrient dense, well, what was that word? It's dense. They're nutrient dense. They have a lot packed in a little, 
Do you need that much? That's the question. You know, you if you eat a bite of a polar bear liver, you will die from vitamin A poisoning. That's that's a well-known fact. Okay. Well, liver has a lot of vitamin A. This is a fat-soluble vitamin. And so it stores in your body. You don't just pee out the ex, the excess like you do vitamin C or vitamin B. You know, so this will build up and it will store up and then you can start having problems. And you can have problems that, that go on for years. Because this is fat soluble, it doesn't really go away that easily. It's actually kind of hard to clear. And so vitamin A can build up if you're eating things out of, out of proportion. Now, if you look, you know, even, even Dr. Saladino, he shows that all the, you know, these different tribes like the Hadza, they'll, they'll make a kill and they'll get this liver. And it's like, they're, they're, they're like treating it reverently and they pass it around. Everyone takes a small bite, but what are they doing? They're taking a small bite. And how often are they hunting? They hunt an animal. They take that down, depending on the size of the animal, depending on the size of the tribe, you know, maybe they're, they're eating one animal for every few days for everyone. And they're getting one liver. And so they're getting like a bite every few days, maybe even every one day, it's one bite. The rest of their, their meals are, are, you know, largely skeletal muscle meat. You have to think to yourself, how many hundreds of pounds of skeletal muscle meat and fat are there in a cow compared to every one pound of, of liver? It's literally hundreds to one. Okay. So, you know, if you're nutrient deprived and you're on a, on a standard American diet and you're not really getting very good uh, nutrient supply, liver's your best friend, you know, but if you're on a carnivore diet, skeletal muscle meat and fat have everything that you need in the proportion that you need it by definition, because that's what we evolved on. And you look at the Eskimos, you look at the Inuits, you look at Lewis and Clark, they did not eat the organs. They ate the meat. They ate the fattiest of the meat. Lewis and Clark, you know, obviously, the, you know, the very famous expedition across America. You, look, you read their journals. They're super interesting. I was just talking to someone about this today. You, they, they talk about how, you know, when they would hunt, they would eat the fattiest parts of the animals. And they found that people that didn't eat the fattiest parts died. They weren't, if they weren't getting enough fat, they died. They fed the lean bits and the organs to their dogs. They ate the fat. The dogs ate the lean stuff and the organs. They can survive on different things than we can. We need the fat. We need the skeletal fat and, and even the abdominal fat. But, you know, we get all the, the, the vitamins and, and things like that that we need from the muscle and fat. So if you're eating organs, that's fine if you enjoy them. But I go by taste as well. If liver tastes good, go for it. Your brain's probably telling you something. Hey, you're, you're a bit deprived. Get it. Eventually, it will not taste as good, probably. Um, raw raw organs taste very different, though. Like raw liver, for some reason, tastes so much better than cooked liver. It's like it's just a different thing altogether. But this has a lot of vitamin A, and so if you're eating, you know, you know, half a pound of of organ of liver a day, you know, that's completely out of proportion with with the amount of. of meat that you're eating, you know, you're eating two pounds of meat and you're eating half a pound of liver, you know, that's four to one, as opposed to 200 to one, you know, or 400 to one. So you're, you're eating this stuff out of proportion. And if you're doing this regularly ongoing and ongoing and ongoing, you are going to build up, um, these, these fat soluble vitamins that are going to get, become, reach a level of toxicity called hypervitaminosis. Hypervitaminosis A is well known and well described to suppress your TSH, your, th your, your thyroid stimulating hormone, which will then reduce the amount 
of thyroid hormone produced by your thyroid. This will give you low thyroid. And so, you know, Dr. Saladino and uh, carnivore Aurelius, all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm just eating, I'm just eating meat and liver. And obviously liver is just the best thing ever. So that can't be it. And my thyroid's tanking and I feel like shit. Okay. Here's this little study that that sort of says that if you have that you need sort of carbohydrates to do this, and you know, forgetting the fact that our bodies make carbohydrates, we have blood sugar, we have glycogen that didn't go anywhere, and you do get little spikes as well. So you kick yourself out of ketosis. You know, when you eat you know a high protein or a big meal with a lot of protein in, it will kick you out of ketosis for a little bit and then pop you back in because you you make a a, a corresponding. Uh, uh, amount of glucagon to actually, you know, take you out, uh, uh, to get your blood sugar back down to normal, but you do have this just transient spikes. Okay. Uh, and you drink some milk does the same thing. So they're looking at this and saying, you know, this must be, I need to eat exogenous carbohydrates. But as we know, we have, we have hard evidence that we don't need any carbohydrates our entire lives or else we wouldn't be here and the Inuits wouldn't be here. And also this is, this is something that's well-described you know, again, by the National um, the, you know, Institute of Medicine and, and the National Association of Science, it's very clear. They're like, yeah, no, we, you don't need any carbohydrates. And, you know, that's appealing to authority. Like, obviously, you know, just because they're in charge doesn't mean that they're right. But, you know, I, I, they do support their statement in this one. Um, so when you're eating carbohydrates, it actually increases the amount of vitamins that you need. This is why people, you know, look at carnivore diet and they say, well, this doesn't have enough vitamins and minerals. You, you can't survive. This doesn't have enough. Well, actually, when you're only eating meat and you're not eating carbohydrates, you're not eating, uh, you know, fruits and vegetables, you actually need less of these vitamins, a lot less, you know, instead of 10, you know, in, instead of needing milligrams of vitamin C, you need nanograms of vitamin C. Okay. Big difference. It's orders of magnitude, several orders of magnitude difference. Okay. So what happens? You have hypervitaminosis. Again, this is complete conjecture, but it's, it's possible that someone who has hypervitaminosis can then eat carbohydrates and all of a sudden their requirement for those vitamins actually increases as well. And they're, they have too many vitamins and now, you know, their, their need is here. So they have, they have a toxic level, but now they eat carbohydrates and now that brings them up their demand up as well. So now they're sort of, it evens them out a bit. That could be what's happening. I don't know, but I do know that meat did not cause that and not eating carbohydrates did not cause that. That's a fact, you know, and you only need to look at the Inuits and the fact that ice ages happened to, to know that. Also, I've, I've been doing strict carnivore for quite a lot longer than they have. People like Dr. Baker have as well, um, or maybe similar amount of time. And, uh, but then there, there's all sorts of people, you know, like Kelly Hogan, she's been, you know, 10, 11 years, just meat and just water, you know, Charles Washington, even longer than that. There's, there's people that have been doing this for decades in the West. And then of course, all the, the, you know, the, the human populations, you know, living naturally that just don't eat anything except meat. That's it. So we know that's not it. Um, and if, you know, they're doing something similar to what I'm doing, but they're getting different results. It means they're, they are doing something different that is significant. And I think that the main difference between them and I and Kelly Hogan and the Inuits is that they're eating organs. They're eating a lot of organs and even taking supplements for organs. I'm not there. And Kelly Hogan's not, and the Inuits aren't. 
You know, I don't, I don't, I don't take that stuff. I don't, I don't think you need it. Um, and so that's, that's what I think is probably the difference and might be what's going on there. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that thoughtful answer. Um, it, it is, you just really have to look at the context of the diet and realize that a lot of, you know, the RDAs or things that were recommended is based on a diet that if you're eating carnivore, you're, you're not eating, you don't need the same nutrients. And, and I, you know, I always felt guilty for not getting enough organs in my diet. I never liked the taste. You're right about like frozen and raw. I think frozen and raw liver tastes way better than cooked mm. liver and smells a million times better. Yeah. Um, and you know, getting some of it I think is important, but, but I just, <clears throat> I never noticed a difference if I got a lot of it versus getting some. And I think just going out and pushing this idea that you need a lot of them, I, it really makes you kind of stop and think whether that's the right message or not. So I really do appreciate that. Um, I definitely want to direct our listeners to your podcast, which I absolutely love. I told you, um, before we started recording, when I found your podcast, I resorted, <clears throat> excuse me, all the episodes and started from the newest or the, I'm sorry, the oldest to the newest. I've been listening to them in order, which is really great. Um, all kinds of different topics yeah. that you really address. You had one of my absolute favorite, favorite, favorite rants about, um, baby formula, which is fantastic. I recommend it to anybody, um, record number of F bombs in the first like 30 seconds, which is fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Um, <clears throat> And you also talk, you know, about, you know, talking to other vegans, people that don't necessarily see eye to eye with you or with me. And, you know, I, I, I want to preface this question by saying, I, I, I don't care. And I'm pretty sure you don't care. Whatever anybody chooses to eat, yeah. however they decide to live their life, whatever fundamentals, whatever they feel about animals is totally, totally fine. I support that. I'm not going to be the one standing at the corner of the street yelling at everybody that they need to not eat a carrot. You know what I mean? But I do think there's yeah. a lot of harm in telling people people that if they don't eat in that particular way, then they are going to be harmed. And so I guess the question is for you, why is it important to have the discussion with people that don't necessarily see eye to eye with you to at least bring some of these things out to light to talk about? Yeah. Well, I, th I think that, I think that everyone makes their decisions, um, you know, for a reason, you know, there are a lot of vegans that I, that I've met are, that are very conscientious. They've, they've really thought about this either for their health or for the environment or, you know, just being nice to animals. And I get that. They, these are all very important things. I completely agree with that. Uh, and I, and I, and so, you know, my outlook would be the same as theirs. You know, I want to do what's right for my body. I want to do something that's beneficial to the planet and not harming it. I don't want to, you know, have, have a bunch of animals suffer and die needlessly. I don't, you know, the sad truth is that, you know, we are uh, heterotrophs something has to die for us to live. That's just, that's just a fact. Plants are living things too. They actually have a nervous system. They feel and respond to pain. They scream. I don't know if people know that they scream when you start cutting into them or insects start eating them. They send out chemical signals and they, they aerosolize them. They go out to the other plants around them, their families and tells them like, Hey, we're being eaten by this bug. We're being attacked. Defend yourselves. And so they'll start making more poisons to that bug. Another bug starts eating them. They'll make another signal and they'll start producing a different toxin to that bug. Okay. So these aren't just dumb inanimate objects. You know, they, they actually are complex living organisms. So, you know, let's say, well, they're not as, as, as good as a cow. Fine. I can, I can buy that. But what people don't realize is that, you know, there's a study in Australia that actually showed that uh, you have to kill 25 times the number of sentient animals to grow one pound 
of plant-based protein, which is not as bioavailable as, as animal protein, by the way. So it's actually more of a disparity if you actually want usable protein to every one pound of, of animal protein. So you're killing 25 times the amount of animals. You're killing all the snakes, all the, all the gophers, all the uh, rabbits, you know, all the, all the different birds and squirrels that are in that field and you're tilling it up, you're grinding up animals uh, when you're, when you're going through the field and plowing that up, you're getting all this runoff from the pesticides. It goes into the water, poisons the water, kills all sorts of animals. Um, you know, and then you're, and you have to kill all the animals that are coming around eating your crop. You know, they, they have, you know, people out there shooting deer and pigs and kangaroo and, you know, anything else that comes in and, and, and screws with their crop. They have to kill these things. Those animals don't get eaten necessarily. I mean, sure some do, but so these, these animals are dying needlessly. Whereas, a, you know, you, you raise a cow, you know, you have a, you have a, a relationship with that. You have a social contract, you take care of it, then it takes care of you. You keep it safe from harm. You, you raise its children, you feed it, you, you protect it from predation. You, you heal it when it's sick, you uh, fix it when it's, when it's broken. And then, you know, you take care of them, give them a good, good life. And, you know, there's no nice way to kill something, but, you know, our, our means in the West with a pneumatic hammer and, you know, uh, electrocution are as close to instant as it, as it is possible to get. And so a lot of these, you know, very disturbing videos that come out about the slaughterhouses. They're in third world countries. And often they're, they're actually hammed up on purpose to really scare the animals and rile them up and be extra cruel to them and extra nasty to them in order to just show something evil. And, and, and these are actually being encouraged by the PETA people saying, yeah, really mess with them, try to hurt them so that we can show how evil this is. No, you're being evil. You are torturing that animal. Oh, well, it'll save other animals bullshit. You are torturing that thing. And that is not what's happening. Uh, and certainly not in, in Western abattoirs and, and slaughterhouses. So I think it's important for people to understand this stuff. And I agree with them. I think that, you know, we should take care of animals. We have, a, we have a responsibility that we're going to, we're going to eat these things. We need to give them a good life. We need to give them a clean death. That is, that is our responsibility. And you should absolutely, and we have laws that protect this. You know, you, you're cruel to an animal, that, that you're raising, you go to jail and you should, but also, you know, you have a, you have a protected interest if, if you're raising that animal for market, because it's a commodity. If you hurt that animal, if it, if it dies of sickness or injury, you don't get paid, you know? And so you could end up losing your farm, losing your business or, or just not making money. So you have a vested interest to actually protect that animal, to make sure that it's healthy and happy and grows up strong and healthy. So these animals get protected whether or not this person, you know, likes animals, most of them do. Most of them actually really care about animals and, and work really hard to, to make sure that they're okay. Um, so I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with anyone eating the way that they want. And I certainly don't have a problem, uh, you know, with, with people who are honest about what they do. People go vegan for a number of different reasons. And, and by and large, they, you know, there's some of the vegan activists that, that are, are pretty toxic, but most of just the normal people, they go vegan for really honest reasons. And, you know, they, they want to improve their health and they've just been so like, oh, wow, they watch game change and go, wow, God, that all just makes sense because, you know, they don't know any better. And I've seen, I've seen doctors taken in by this. And then I sort of point out the glaring holes in this and go, oh yeah, no. Okay. Yeah, no, obviously that that's garbage, but you know, it was a very well done piece of propaganda. And I, and I mean, propaganda, literally, that was a, that was a piece of propaganda. There was no veracity 
to anything those people were saying. It was just a convincing lie. That's all it was. And it was a commercial, you know, James Cameron was the, was the executive producer of that. Funny enough, he owns $140 million worth of a pea protein company. Weird. Well, look at that. Yeah, it's funny. You need all this protein. You got to get protein, protein, protein. But you can't get it from meat because, oh, that's so bad. But oh, look at this. I've got, I've got this right here for you. Look at that. Isn't that convenient? I mean, it's it's a con. It's an absolute con. And, um, you know, and that's, you know, that that's the name of marketing is that you con people into buying your product. So I like having conversations with with uh, vegans and vegetarians just because, A, I, I want to make sure that I'm not wrong, you know? And so, you know, I test my my knowledge and experience with them and you know, maybe they'll bring something new to the table. You know, this is something I did early on because I didn't want to be one of those guys that only looked at their side of the argument. You know, John Stuart Mill said that if you only, well, to paraphrase, if you only know your side of the argument, then you don't know much. If you haven't heard it, heard the opposing argument in its most persuasive form from the horse's mouth, then you don't even know what the argument is. You don't know what the discussion is. So you need to go and you don't hear it from your side. You know, that's what I tell people. Don't just listen to me. I'm not trying to straw man anyone. I'm not trying to, you know, I did a, I did a, a bit quick series on, you know, things that vegans say. And I had this vegan cardiologist I had a, a, a debate with, uh, you know, it was a three on three debate. And it was just, and, and so I didn't want to just paraphrase, oh, this is what he said. I played the tape. This is what he says. And I just went through point by point. This is, this is why I disagree with that. This is why I think it's wrong. And I, and I, you know, put resources to uh, provided resources. So I think people should listen to that. And, and I tried to do that. I tried to go, go to different, you know, vegan, um, you know, doctors and nutritionists and go to their websites, go to their YouTube channels and just say, okay, what am I missing? You know, you tell me, what am I missing? And, you know, I found that all of these things were, were based on fallacies. Some of them were, were outright lies and, and fictions, or they, they, you know, would quote something, oh, this happened. You look it up and like, no, that actually didn't happen. Or most things are based on the lie that cholesterol causes causes heart disease, which it does not. That, that's been definitively proven to be fraud. You know, the Journal of American Medical Association published in 2015 actual internal memos from the sugar companies back in the 40s and 50s detailing how they paid off three Harvard professors to falsify data and publish fraudulent studies to make it appear as if cholesterol was causing heart disease and to exonerate sugar and say that it was safe and, and just an empty calorie. That's where that, that phrase comes from. Um, and, and other professors from around the country as well, such as, is, um, uh, what was it? Keys. What's his stupid name? Ansel. Dr. Ansel Keys. Ansel Keys. Yeah. Yeah. That, that fraud. He was bought and paid for as well. He came up with the RDAs. So he was very, very famous uh, uh, for that. And he did this thing called the Seven Nations Study. And he was like, wow, this is, this is really conclusive. You know, he found, he studied these seven nations and the more cholesterol they ate, you had a, a parabolic increase in uh, heart disease. Well, the problem with that is that he actually had full uh, data for 23 different countries and that they had no correlation with heart disease. So in fact, there's no correlation at all between heart disease and, and uh, um, increased cholesterol and heart disease. Um, you know, and you, you know, when you show correlation, that does not prove causation, just like there's a correlation between uh, ice cream sales going up and shark attacks. You know, there is a correlation to that, but it doesn't mean that, you know, sharks like eating, you know, sweet fattened children who've just eaten ice cream, you know, uh, you know, when the summer months come in, it gets hotter. People, you know, people buy more ice cream. They also go in the water where the sharks are. 
So that's where the correlation is. However, so correlation is not causation. However, if you show that there is no correlation, that proves there is no causation. You cannot have causation without first having correlation. So we know that there's no causation because there is no correlation. Um, and so Ansel Keys was, was a big uh, player in that. But, you know, these Harvard professors that I mentioned before, one of them was named head of the USDA. And it was he who authored and published the 1977 declaration that cholesterol causes heart disease. And so we should stop eating it, stop eating saturated fat, stop eating meat, stop eating eggs, stop eating red meat, especially start eating more fruits and vegetables, more grains and everything because they didn't have cholesterol in them. And so this is what most of the vegans hang their hat on is this cholesterol theory of heart disease. And they base everything on that. Well, we know that that's false. We know that. And so whenever you have a, uh, anything based on a false premise, you have to throw it out and then start from scratch. And that's something that they haven't done. Yeah, that's right. I would direct anybody to Nina Teichel's book, The Big Fat Surprise. Um, mm. She goes in detail about Dr. Ansel Keys and how he came up with his theories and this horrible, horribly done study with, with, you know, that graph that you mentioned, but it contrasts that with all the data points that he had that were all over the place. It looked like a shotgun where, you know, there's, there's data everywhere yet. You're cherry picking the ones that best suit your case and do this very poor data to prove your point, which doesn't prove anything. It's ridiculous. So I'm really glad that you brought that up and I'm, I'm really appreciative of you that you are able to have those conversations with people in a way that's really respectful and, You're not shouting again from the street corner that this is the only way and you're not calling people names. You're just talking about facts and trying to bring that to light. And I think the more of that we have, the more we can push this message through. Um, I definitely want to be respectful of your time. You're ahead of us by like 14 hours, which would be like way past my bedtime if I was up at at the time you're at. Um, We would love to have you back anytime to continue this discussion. This has been super engaging. Um, Really love you know, how much study you've done, how, how thoughtful you've been about this, how you're combining both anecdote with yourself and with your patients, but also the scientific facts and the studies that have been done is all very, very thoughtful. And, and again, we really appreciate that. Uh, Dr. Chafee, can you tell us where people can go to find you and connect with you and your work? Uh, yeah, well, well, thank you very much. Yeah. So, um, I, I have a YouTube channel that's just Anthony Chafee, MD, um, Chafee spelled with two F's, two E's and, uh, and that's why I, I post a lot of uh, videos and a lot of my content. Um, I also have a podcast, which you mentioned, The Plant Free MD, and that's on you know Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, you know whatever uh, platform that you use. And that generally has the audio version of uh, of the videos that I would put on YouTube. But you know sometimes there's just stuff that's exclusive uh, to that as well, like different interviews uh, that only have audio. Um, and then you know I'm I'm, I'm very fairly active on uh, Instagram as well. I have a lot of posts there that um, that I try to like you know comment on different aspects of of diet and nutrition and, and evolution, um, and just sort of you know try to put the facts out there. Uh, and I also you know will will publicize there and on on Facebook when I'm uh, publishing uh, a, a new video. I try to do at least two videos a week on YouTube and my podcast, sometimes three. And, um, and so I, I sort of do those as a premiere and let people know when that's happening. And then I have, uh, and then my, my Instagram is just Anthony Chafee MD as well. I, I have, um, Twitter, which is just Anthony dot Chafee and, um, and, and sort of similar sort of things there. Um, I've, I'm trying to sort of broaden out onto different platforms, like unfortunately TikTok, which is just like the bane of, uh, I think society right now, but <laughs> sort of put on uh, a few videos there so i just would put on a different different clips and show clips maybe some short videos that i do there 
Um, and that's that's most of it. I, I have developed a website called um, thecarnivorelife.com, and that is um, it's under development. I haven't I haven't actually you know dedicated a lot of time to it yet because I haven't had really time to. But I plan to start putting up. Um, my basically my blog posts that I've put up on Instagram, they're now sort of lost in the shuffle. Maybe you're more difficult for people to find. Um, but I think that that people have found very useful. At least they've told me they found them very useful. And I'll start putting those up online and then putting you know testimonials from uh, different patients and, and uh, friends and family that have done this and, and their personal experiences with that as well to see about helping people. Um, we do a weekly um, Q&A session. Uh, I started a Patreon um, for that. And so people that can, you know, like it's like $3 a month or something like that. And that entitles you to join these uh, weekly Q&A sessions with myself and um, uh, my friend Rena over in, in Sydney. She goes by the five minute body on um, on Instagram. And so we try to do that. And um, yeah, that's pretty much, I think that's most of it. Okay. Great. Probably enough. Yeah, we'll link to all yeah. of that in the show notes. I don't know why I mentioned bedtime. You clearly never sleep. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's amazing. I was on, yeah. I was on call this weekend, and so I've, I've basically been working the last, like, 62 hours. I had, like, <laughs> a couple hours of sleep last night. I had maybe two hours of sleep Saturday night. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, just, yeah, I can I can definitely tell you based on myself and, and people that I coach, once they start eating this way, they have way more energy and it's a lot easier to get by with less sleep. So that's fantastic. We're really appreciative yeah. of your work. Um, just totally exhaustive um, stuff that you're able to put out. Dr. Anthony Chasey, thank you so very much for everything you do and thank you for appearing on our podcast today. We really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. It's really inspiring and amazing to see some of the reviews that we have been getting and also to receive so many messages and emails about how these episodes have improved our listeners' lives. And so thank you so very much. We are so happy to bring these episodes to you and provide them for free. And we really hope that they help you in your life. Uh, We have just passed two major milestones, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And basically, we did both of these in pretty much the exact same day. We have just passed 100,000 downloads worldwide of Boundless Body Radio, and we have just launched our 250th episode, which is absolutely amazing. Like I said, I never imagined we could reach that many people. We always want to keep you updated on things that we're doing on our website. So if you go to myboundlessbody.com, you can always see what we're up to. This month, we have a link that you can go and schedule a functional movement screen, which we do virtually over Zoom. A functional movement screen is a series of seven different movements and three different clearing tests, which is designed to find weak links in the body, such as muscle imbalances and joint stability issues. It's a really great tool for discovering inefficient movement. And even if you're not experiencing pain in certain areas of your body. It's something that can prevent injury later on. Some muscles need to be stretched, some need to be strengthened, and we can help you create a plan around that so that you can stay healthy and continue to move well for the rest of your life. 
So again, you can go and schedule that at myboundlessbody.com. You will also see the other services that we offer. You can always schedule a complimentary 30 minute consultation with us to really chat about anything that you like. And remember, if you are enjoying Boundless Body Radio, please take a minute, give us a rating or review on Apple. It really helps get this passion project out to other people. And thank you again for tuning into Boundless Body Radio.